I'm going to read Luke chapter 1, 5 through 38. Please follow along if you have a Bible. The birth of John the Baptist foretold. In the time of Herod, king of Judea, there was a priest named Zechariah who belonged to the priestly division of Abijah. His wife, Elizabeth, was also a descendant of Aaron. Both of them were righteous in the sight of God, observing all the Lord's commands and decrees blamelessly. But they were childless, because Elizabeth was not able to conceive, and they were both very old. Once, when Zechariah's division was on duty, and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for the burning of the incense came, all the assembled worshippers were praying outside. Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him, standing at the right side of the altar of incense. When Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife, Elizabeth, will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. He will be a joy and delight to you, and many will rejoice because of his birth. For he will be great in the sight of the Lord. He is never to take wine or other fermented drink. And he will be filled with the Holy Spirit even before he is born. He will bring back many of the people of Israel to the Lord their God. And he will go on before the Lord in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the parents to to their children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the righteous. To make ready a people prepared for the Lord. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well on in years. The angel said to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent. You will not be able to speak until this till the day this happens because you did not believe my words, which will come true at their appointed time. Meanwhile, the people were waiting for Zechariah and wondering why he stayed so long in the temple. When he came out, he could not speak to them. They realized he had seen a vision in the temple, for he kept making signs to them, but remained unable to speak. When his time of service was completed, he returned home. After this, his wife Elizabeth became pregnant and for five months remained in seclusion. The Lord has done this for me, she said. In these days he has shown me his favor and taken away my disgrace among the people. In the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a town in Galilee, to a virgin pledged to be married to a man named Joseph, who was a descendant of David. The virgin's name was Mary, The angel went to her and said, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. Mary was greatly troubled at his words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. But the angel said to her, Do not be afraid. Mary, you have found favor with God. You will conceive and give birth to a son, and you are to call him Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Lord, will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. 
His kingdom will never end. How can this be, Mary asked the angel, since I'm a virgin? The angel answered, the Holy Spirit will come on you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who was said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month. For no word from God will ever fail. I am the Lord's servant, Mary answered. May your word to me be fulfilled. Then the angel left her. Thanks be to God. Yes. Thank you so much, Sarah, for that beautiful reading. I'll just put this away. It's a little bit um, counterintuitive when you stand outside a, a bank, as I did, after the, uh, the first um, end of lockdown, and there was a huge sign in, in Sheffield that said, masks must be worn at all times. Some of you are ahead of me. It, it, there was a time when, if I'd walked into a bank wearing a mask... Know what I mean? These are unusual days. I want to bring you greetings from the 200-some Baptist churches of the Yorkshire Baptist Association. They would want me to bring greetings. They have no idea I'm saying that, but they would want me to do that. And it's a great privilege to be here with you today, not least on Remembrance Sunday. I have the right to wear these medals on the right-hand side of my jacket uh, only those who've served can wear on, on that side, the left-hand side. They were my father's. He served in Imphal, in what was called Burma. And uh, if you've heard of that infamous railway that prisoners of war were urged to create through those jungles, you'll know something of the story of my father who died when I was five because he'd had a, a, a tropical disease that weakened his heart. So this day is significant for me. Greater love has no one than this, than he lay down his life for his friends. And we're going to talk about Jesus today. But just before uh, I pray, I'm going to borrow from my good friend and brother, Bishop Pete, who I know has preached here recently, some Anglican liturgy. So those of you who are Anglican, please respond in the usual way when I say what I used with the leaders of uh, larger churches at a retreat this week. So I'm going to say, the Lord is here, and you're going to say... Let's stand again just for a moment. We're going to say it twice. The Lord is here. The Lord is here. Heavenly Father, before we take our seats, we've declared that your spirit is amongst us. And if that's true, all things are possible. So Lord, would you please create an atmosphere of faith? And we know, Lord, that an air of expectancy helps to create an atmosphere of faith. So we don't want to work up our emotions, but we want to come to you, Father, in the name of Jesus, as your Holy Spirit stirs our hearts and acknowledge that Jesus is present. The Lord is here. His Spirit is with us. So, Father God, please, may this not be a mere impartation of information, but through the power of your word and by the power of your spirit, may each of us, me included, me foremost, Lord, may we not just experience an impartation of information, but life transformation. 
We ask it in the name of Jesus and for his glory and all God's people said, Amen. Please take a seat. I want to talk about seizing a sacred moment today, about seizing your sacred moment. And I believe for some here, there will be a sacred moment. But before we, we look at that, here's a sad moment. An American soldier called Henry Gunther at 10.59 on the 11th of November, 1918, he charged the German line. He charged enemy fire and he was killed one minute before the 11th hour of the 11th day of the 11th month that we've remembered out there today. It's tragic. The rumors were that Henry charged that line because he'd recently been demoted. He wanted to show something different about who he was. And he laid down his life in a tragedy, really, one minute before what we call the armistice. The closing of hostilities in a war where there were 40 million casualties, 20 million deaths. I'm talking in round figures. 10 million of which were civilians. And that's a sad moment for Henry Gunther and those who loved him when in a sense he gave his life for nothing. But everyone here, if you're a follower of Jesus, you're giving your life for something. You've got an amazing, sacred opportunity to seize this day. And so uh, as, I, as I lift my arm up and you look at the wristwatch, the danger is Alan has told me not to watch the clock. That's a dangerous thing to say to a Baptist preacher. But I'll do my best to honor my time. But if I was doing that, I'd be measuring quantities of time quantitative time, chronological time. There's two Greek words in scripture for time. One is chronos and the other is kairos. That's a kind of a moment that is right and opportune. It's an appointed time in the purpose of God. And in Mark 1 and verse 15, when John the Baptist, the very son of Zechariah and Elizabeth, we've been reading about Zechariah, had this unexpected joy come to him, announced by an angel, as John was going and being taken into prison, Jesus told the disciples in the very first chapter as we have it of Mark's gospel, the time has come or the kairos is fulfilled. This is a moment and he began to be, preach the good news there in Galilee. As Jesus hung on the cross, we read in Matthew's gospel, chapter 27, at verse 51, that as he cried, his last cry, one cry had been, my God, why have you forsaken me? But in his last cry, he cries out in the Greek, tetelestai, it's finished, it's accomplished, it's done. All that was agreed with the Father and the Holy Spirit that God would enter into this world in Jesus Christ through the miracle of the incarnation. He would hang upon a cross and give his life as a sacrifice for many. And three days later, hallelujah, he'd take it up again. In verse 51, it says at the moment, at that very moment, the moment that he cried out and then committed his spirit into the Father's hands and died in his humanity, in his full humanity, not protected from that in his full deity, Jesus, Son of Man, but also Son of God and God the Son. History hinges at that moment. It's a turning point in the whole of human history. And the curtain that separates the holy place in which Zechariah was standing when Gabriel appears, the curtain, the very thick curtain, maybe 16 foot or more high, 
It's torn from top to bottom supernaturally, signifying that the place, the holiest of holy places, where only the high priest on one day a year could enter to sprinkle blood upon the mercy seat as a sacrifice for the people of God. That was torn from top to bottom and God was declaring, I'm at one with human beings. Men and women don't need a high priest. They don't need a Baptist regional minister, a vicar. They don't need anyone to come to me. They can come to me now through my son, Jesus. That curtain represented his body. So let's compare the reaction of Zechariah and Mary. And let's first of all, let's be honest. Zechariah, in a sense, failed to seize his sacred moment. He failed to seize his sacred moment. Anyone ever been there? Is there anyone here today and you're watching online or you're up there in the balcony or you're down here and you're thinking, I know what you're getting at. I blew it once. I had a clear moment before me and I failed to seize it. There's good news in Zechariah's story. God is the God of the second chance and the third and the fourth. And this is a story of a priest's doubt Yes, it's a story of Zechariah's doubt, a virgin's dedication, Mary's dedication to God, this humble, young handmaiden. And it's a story of a mother's delight because Elizabeth, John the Baptist, is still within the womb and just as has been spoken by the angel, was filled with the Holy Spirit even before he was born. And he leaps in his mother's womb when Mary goes to visit Elizabeth. That's kind of ministry for some, isn't it? Amazing. But Zechariah failed to seize his sacred moment. Why? Well, he was frozen by fear. He's in this holy place, and and let's remind ourselves, verse 9 tells us, is of the division of Abijah. And there are 24 divisions with up to 2,000 in each, so there's maybe 40,000 Aaronic priests. And then there's Levites as well. And you'd only get to burn incense once, just once in your life. After that, you're off the list. But a lot was drawn, we're told in verse 9. This is a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity. Maybe today there's a lifetime opportunity for someone. Not because I'm speaking, or not because of this text, but this is just a Kairos moment for you. And Zechariah is terrified, frozen by fear, when in verse 12 we read that he's startled, he's gripped with his fear, because Gabriel, as we find out, is uh, is name in verse 19 is an angel who's been in the Lord's presence. Now I had an an opportunity once when I was at Bible college. I'd been an atheist, a scientific atheist until the age of 32. I studied zoology and psychology at Sheffield University. Anyone from Sheffield University? I studied there about 150 years ago as you can tell and I studied science and I was a scientific atheist. So I would avoid the keen Christian God squad that came to worship at St. Thomas Crook's. I remember my now wife, Marilyn, said, well, what's a God squad? I said, I don't know. Just stay away from them. It's safer. So he was frozen by fear. And in a a Bible college called Moorlands on the south coast in a place called Christchurch, I was in a prayer room. Now at Bible college, just three years after my conversion from atheism to loving Jesus passionately. And I was on my face. I didn't look round. I can't tell you I saw anything. I just knew there was a presence in the room with me and I was flat on my face and I tell you I was trembling. It was a wonderful experience, but it was an awesome experience. And you can understand Zechariah, frozen by fear. And he was distracted by doubt. By the time we get to verse 18... 
We're listening to a man whose prayers had not been answered, that God would take away Elizabeth and his shame because they had this wrong understanding that it was a judgment of God that they were childless. And he'd been praying and praying and praying. He probably hadn't prayed for that now. He's too old. He's ripe in years. He'd probably given up. Maybe he'd prayed as a priest burning the incense for the salvation of Israel. And boy, did he get an answer to that prayer, just as Gabriel said. But he says to Gabriel, and can I just give you a tip? You know, I was on my face terrified in that prayer room at Mullins College. Let me give you a tip. If an angel turns up tonight or tomorrow or whatever, don't ask the angel, how can I be sure this is a message from God? <laughs> just don't do that, okay? I think it's a clue that there's an angel standing there who's just appeared out of nowhere as if stepping out of the heavenly realms into that holy place. He's old. But he gets this wonderful promise, Elizabeth's old, but she's going to get this wonderful promise, but not by his lips. He must have signed it or written it. That's interesting how he did that. But when he went home to Elizabeth that day, or at some stage in the days following, she conceived and the miracle happened. He was distracted by doubt, frozen by fear. He asked the angel, how can I be sure? And he was silenced by the situation because the angel really wanted to get his attention. So he didn't speak from that moment until a very, very special moment. This is the God of the second chance moment. You see, the angel says in verse 20, you'll be silent and not able to speak until the time this takes place. And if you've got a Bible, you might want to look at it. If you're on your phone or your iPad or you're at home, check it out. That uh, In verses 59 to verse 64, we get the account of the the eighth day for John the Baptist, the time is due to be circumcised. And a little bit with our dedications or infant baptisms, there's a chance to name the child. And everyone is confused because Elizabeth has said he is to be called John. Zechariah had communicated that. And they're saying, but there's no one in your family of that name. So they go to Zechariah. And Zechariah says, his name is John. He writes it on a tablet. And even as he does that, his mouth is opened. He's no longer silent because he stepped back into the will of God. And this might be a word for you this morning. He stepped away from the doubt and the fear and the disobedience and not being able to hold on to the word of God. He stepped into the will and the purpose of God. And even as he speaks this word, his mouth is opened. Another miracle happens. So he wasn't a complete failure. Let's not be too hard on this guy because in verse 6 we see that he and Elizabeth were righteous before God they're even described as blameless but that does not mean sinless but in verse 7 we read that there was a barrenness a childlessness and in verses 23 to 25 we see that that's so hard for Elizabeth she used the word disgrace she says the Lord has taken away my disgrace through his amazing grace through his amazing mercy, he gives Zechariah the second chance. Let's look at Mary and let's compare Mary. Because I want to suggest that Mary's faith enabled her to uh, seize this opportunity, enabled her to seize her sacred moment. Her faith was so powerful. Let me just read from a, a different uh, piece of the New Testament. Let me read from Hebrews chapter 11. Many of you will know that verse 1 of chapter 11 says this, Now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about we do, what we do not see. Zechariah in the circumstances, could only see that he and Elizabeth was old. He couldn't see in faith at that moment in time that this miracle could happen. But Mary could see 
that this was the word of God. She seizes a sacred moment. It says in Hebrews 11 and verse 6, Without faith it's impossible to please God because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. God is gracious, God is forgiving, God is merciful. But God loves it when we respond in faith. And that's what Mary does. She was confused by the circumstances, however. Really confused by the circumstances. We read in verse 29 that she was greatly troubled and she wondered what this might mean. You'd expect her to be. She's betrothed to Joseph. That was a lengthy period when you were almost as good as married, but not doing the things which is the gift of God for when you are married. Try telling that to some of your friends. So there's no union to put it that way, with Joseph. She's young, she's a virgin, she's confused by the circumstances, she's greatly troubled and wonders what it it could mean. But she was also overwhelmed by the opportunity. Absolutely amazed and overwhelmed. She said, how can this be since I am a virgin? Verse 34. And the angel tells her that the Holy Spirit is going to overshadow her. The Holy Spirit is going to come upon her. Now let me draw on some of my biology from the University of Sheffield. I believe theologically that what happens then is the first cell of the human being, a zygote if you want the term, is planted in the womb of Mary. There are different views on this theologically, but I'm absolutely convinced in myself that there's no sperm, no egg in that sense because that would bring humanity into that in a way that would refute the fact that in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word became flesh. The first cell of a human being. Now just check out, sorry, I'll rephrase that. Just look at the person either side of you. Have a good look at them. Beautiful, aren't they? Be careful who you say that to. If you're sitting next to your husband or wife, make sure you say it with a very genuine smile. They're beautiful. They started life as a zygote, one cell. Haven't they come on? They're made in the image of God. And maybe Mary, who's confused by the circumstances, who's overwhelmed by the opportunity, here's the angel Gabriel. And maybe her mind, I can't show this, that would be eisegesis reading into the Bible, and that's not good. We do exegesis, we read out of the Bible what it says. But I'm just wondering whether Mary had the scroll of the prophet Isaiah that she'd maybe heard recently ringing in her inner ears, Isaiah 7.14. And here is a sign to you, the virgin will be with child. And whatever theologians think about that, when you get to Isaiah 9, you're hearing about one who is Emmanuel, God with us. God in the flesh. She's overwhelmed by these thoughts if she's having them. But she is faithful with God's future. Absolutely faithful with God's future. I am the Lord's servant. May it be to me as you have said. May God's word be fulfilled in me. And in verse 45, Elizabeth says over her, blessed is the fruit of your womb. Blessed is the mother of my Lord. Tom, I want to be honest. I'm so stirred by the Nehemiah fund and the vision and the story particularly, Tom, that you told this morning. And I quote it right back to you this young woman's life would have a very different future if there was a church like this nearby. Everyone in this building, everyone online, everyone who's part of St. Thomas Crooks, and Tom hasn't bribed me to say this, 
Could you give extravagantly, generously, and sacrificially to the Nehemiah Fund, not just to put the money in the coffers, but to change lives like the life of that young woman? Because Mary was faithful with God's future, and therefore Mary was faithful with your future and my future. This 32-year-old atheist could never have had his eyes open to Christ unless Mary had born the Messiah. Unless the Son of God had been brought into this world. And here's the news, here's the good news that Jesus was preaching when the Kairos moment had come, when the Baptist was locked in prison. The Baptist said, I must decrease that he might increase. And he increased until there were no homes that could hold him. There were no synagogues that could hold him. He's out in the fields giving the most wonderful teaching of all. But he's abandoned when he hangs on a cross in a sacred moment when he gives up his life and the, the, the temple curtain is torn from top to bottom because Jesus made the way open for me, this sinner saved by grace, and did so much more in my life. I could never, ever do enough good works to get me to heaven. The good news is I don't need to. Here is the gospel of Christ. He died and he was resurrected and he's present by his spirit and there's not a woman or a man here or on screen in the balcony or down here that he doesn't love passionately. That's why we call the crucifixion the passion. I cried through Mel Gibson's film about the death of Jesus, the passion of the Christ. I was deeply moved. It was brutal. But you see, Mary played her part in shaping our future. Jesus played his part in shaping your eternal destiny and mine. So I need to move towards a time of response. Do everything you can to be the church that God wants you to be. You are in a Kairos moment. I thank God for previous ministry and previous teams and previous projects and the great history of this church. But here's a new era and a new moment and it's a sacred moment. So seize it. And by way of response, and forgive me, I know I'm over time. I'll make this brief. Today you've got a chance to seize your sacred moment. Today you've got a chance to shape the future by the choices which you make in the present by seizing your sacred moment. I think there are some people being called in this church, not just this morning, you've been thinking about it. It's been stirred within you, you're feeling a, called, a calling to the type of ministry that Tom and Alan are involved in. I think some of you are feeling called to other ministries and other aspects of service, and some of you are just being called to, to go to a completely different job. Some of you are being stirred up about who it is you're going to spend the rest of your earthly life with. And God cares about that too. So let's be more like Mary than Zechariah. Let's prepare and position ourselves to seize our sacred moments, and let's remember that nothing is impossible with God.